0: I want to thank you again for coming to Cottondale Baptist Church and worshiping with us. Um, see what the Lord has for us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for today. Prayer, Lord, you'd help us now. Hear, believe, obey your word. Speak to us, Lord, from heaven guard my mouth from error, and may your spirit apply your truth to our hearts in power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, and that'll be on page 46 in the Pew Bible. And um, we're continuing through our series called Journey Through the Bible, where we're taking the... The major uh, events in the biblical storyline and in explaining how it all is telling one big story, a story that's far greater than you and me, although it involves you and me. A story about what God is doing to redeem the world for the glory of his name through a promised man named Jesus Christ. And today, uh, we're uh, to the part of the Exodus uh, we talked about Joseph last week and how uh, God had given the promise uh, uh, to redeem the world to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob. And then Joseph uh, uh, is uh, sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers, and, and they're there for some hundreds of years. Uh, but God promised Abraham... That he would give him a people, as many as the sand of the sea and as many as the stars of the heavens. And that he would give them a land in which to dwell. And this, and this uh, picks up our story again with the birth of a, a little baby named Moses. And if you're familiar with the story, Moses is birthed in the midst of much uh, travail. Uh, Egypt is, um, uh, has enslaved uh the 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 jewish people that live uh within their land and uh, he he commanded that all the uh, newborn boys be thrown into the river and drowned killing all the the boy infants and yet moses is spared uh and he uh, is raised in the wisdom and knowledge of the egyptians the bible says and and um uh, one day he his heart goes out to his people and he strikes an Egyptian who's killing a, who's attacking a, a Jewish uh, slave and uh, he kills the man and realizes it's discovered and he flees into the wilderness where he remains there for 40 years tending his father-in-law's sheep and, and, and that brings us to our text uh, today in Exodus chapter 3. So, uh, if you're able and willing, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? We're going to read from Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The Word of God. You may be seated. So, this morning, it's going to be a little bit different. I have a message in a sentence. A message in a sentence, and I'm going to go through this, uh, the, the story of Moses uh, and the plagues and the Passover, and all in support of this one sentence, and this is the message in a sentence. God gives us His presence and exercises His power... To fulfill his promise and reveal his person. God gives us his presence. And exercises his power. To fulfill his promise. And reveal his person. First let's look at the passage we just read. on God's call to Moses. You know Moses he's a, he's a, he's a child of Abraham. He's a descendant of Abraham, uh, Isaac and Jacob. But he was raised in the household of Pharaoh. And so uh, if you think about it, he, he, knows, he knows the Egyptian court. He knows how, he knows how the, 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 the upper echelon of the uh, Egyptian government works. And yet, and so that's an important part of the story. And yet he was exiled from the land upon killing an Egyptian. And he wanders in the wilderness. Tending his father-in-law's sheep. The same wilderness, by the way, that they will go to in the Exodus. But here he is, and he's tending the father's sheep, and he sees this strange sight. Uh, a, a bush is on fire, but it's not burned up. I, I mean, you know, I think I would say, too, hmm, I'm going to go check that out. And he does. And, of course, his life changes when he walks to that burning bush. Because God meets him in that bush. Now, once you think about Moses' reaction, the, the Scripture says that he was afraid to look at God. That tells us something about God. Maybe sometimes we treat God too flippantly. Maybe we don't see him as we ought to see him. Because maybe if we saw him as he really was, we'd be a little afraid of him. More than a little afraid of him. Moses saw him as he was and he was afraid. And yet God said, you're on holy ground. Take off your shoes. But you can approach me. And, And Moses, God identifies himself to Moses. He says... I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So remember the storyline that we've been walking through, right? God, he's he's picking up, right? They've been been in slavery uh, in Egypt, okay, for hundreds of years. And so, but God made a promise to Abraham. Hundred years might seem a long time to us. It's not a long time to God. God's picking up his promise. It's time to act, and so he comes to Moses and he, he calls himself, he says, I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's picking, what is he doing? What's, it, what's the scripture telling us? He's telling us Moses now. Remember, it was, it, it was, no, it was uh, Noah and then there was Abraham, then there's Isaac and Jacob. Well, who, who, who's next? It's Moses. Moses is the next man in God's plan to fulfill his secret rescue plan, if you will. And in verse 7 there, it says, "The The Lord said, I've surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. God has not forgotten his people. He hasn't forgotten. He knows their sufferings. Maybe some of you are suffering right now. And the biggest question you have is, does anybody even know? Does anybody even care? God knows. God cares. But get this. they're, They're groaning under the weight of Egyptian slavery. God doesn't always act on our time frame. But when he acts, you'll know it. And he hasn't forgotten. He's watching he sees, and so we wait on him, and that's what the Christian life is. They, the Egyptians were groaning under the weight of their slavery, waiting for God to fulfill his promise, and this is, this is a parable of our life. That we we groan in this world, the Bible says, under sin, under suffering, under sin and all its affle- effects, which includes suffering and affliction and loss and pain and injustice. But God hears our cries. The Bible says it's like it's like. Uh, w- it, it, it's like they're being stored up in heaven, where one day they will be presented to God as incense, and then when and then when on when the right when the time is right, they will rise up before the Lord, and God will thunder from heaven until that day though we wait, we keep crying to him, knowing that he sees and that he will act and what's and and next in this story we see Moses and Uh, God calls him out. Now, I mean, (laughs) Moses understood what God was asking him to do. This is a people that is, that, by the way, God had kept his promise to them even in their slavery. What did he do while they were in Egypt? He multiplied them, right? they are millions of people by now. And God calls Moses and he says, Moses... You're going to go free them. And Moses' response to God, <laughs> it seems like humility. He says, Who am I, God? It seems like humility, but it's not. It's really pride. He's, he says, God, who am I? Who am I to take out this great people? Who am I to deliver them from Egypt? And Moses, he's faced with this task from God, and all Moses can see is his inadequacy, and he forgets to look in the one place God tells him to look. God says, I will be with you. When we face problems in our lives, nine times out of ten, all we do is look at ourselves and, and see how weak and sorry we are, and but the one place that we're supposed to be looking, we forget to look. And that is, there is a God. We're not in control. Hurricane Michael told the whole southeast of the United States today, a whole bunch of people who think they're in control, you're not in control. And then we have to decide whether we're going to entrust ourselves to the one who is in control. You see, the thing that God has, the thing that God has the amazing, uh, the, the thing that he's so good at, it's showing us how little we are but how great he is. And how great and how great he is to use people who are of small stature. God, your weakness cannot hinder God's power. So if God wants to use you, it doesn't matter how weak you are, he's going to do it. You just have to step out and obey. You see, and the problem is, is that we live in a day where from from Disney Channel on up, we are being trained that our problem is self-confidence and self-esteem. I need to esteem myself more. I need to have more confidence in myself, and then my problems will be solved. God says your problem is not that you esteem yourself too little. It's the problem that you esteem yourself too much. You have too much confidence in yourself and not enough confidence in me. God, when Moses says, who am I to do this? God doesn't say, oh, Moses, you're the best. You can do it. Go, Moses. God God doesn't do that. He says, Moses, yes, okay, you're right, but just forget about you for a second. I am. Will be with you. I will be with you. You're weak, God says, but I'm strong. You can't, but I can. And so, are you? Are you fighting a battle today that you feel like you can't win? Are you drowning in anxiety or worry or stress or uh, depression or fear? If, you, if that's you today, and, and it happens to all of us, I, I just want to suggest to you this morning that if, if you just feel like you're groaning under the weight of these things that's happening in your life, I just want to tell you this morning that a part, it may be that part of your problem is that you're holding your problem right here and your God out here. So your problems look way bigger than they really are. And maybe what you need to do is hold them at least both at the same distance and see how much bigger God is than your problems and it'll put everything into perspective you have to we have to learn the Christian life is a battle for the soul it's a battle for the mind the Bible says that we who are in Christ are have a renewed mind that we're to uh, that God is renewing our mind by the spirit and so The way we battle sin and fear and temptation in our lives is we take our thoughts captive by claiming God's promises. I talked about this the other week. Isaiah 41.10. God says, fear not, for I am with you. There it is. Fear not. Why? Because you're so great? Why? Because I'm with you. I'm with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you I will help you I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What about this in Matthew 28:20? 20, the great commission. God, how am I going to go and make disciples of every nation on earth? Behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. Philippians 4:19. My God will Supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Word about provision. God says, I will provide for you. Second Corinthians 9.8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God, I don't know how I can do it. Well, no, you can't do it. But I am able to make all grace abound to you so that you can. Do every good work, everything I call you to do. We have to, we have to re, God, God reorients our lives. If, God, if Jesus Christ is in our life, it's a new, it's a, it's a supernatural change in worldview, in perspective. And we see things differently because God is on our side. And the next thing we see in this momentous encounter with Moses is that Moses asked God his name. Now names in those days were not just identifiers, they said something. They had significance and meaning about the nature or character of the person. God would often rename people according to his plans and his purposes for them. And Moses is asking God his name and it seems to me that One of the things he's asking and asking God his name is that he's really asking God, who are you? Who are you? So that when I tell the uh, Israelites, I just show up and say, here I am. God sent me. Who am I going to say is the one who sent me? Who are you? God's response is rather perplexing. He says, I am who I am. Now, interpreters have been all over the map with that. But I think the the, the point is this. Shortly after he says, I am who I am, he says, go to them. And he says, and say to the people of Israel, verse 15, the Lord, that's his name. When you see in in your Bible, the Lord, L-O-R-D, in all caps, it's not a title. It's not like a title for or for master it's not another word for master it's a it's it's the way they just it's the way the translators have chosen to translate his name like my name is Chad God's name is Yahweh that's his name it's not a title it's a name Yahweh the god of your fathers the god of Abraham of Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you so When God says, I am who I am, what's he trying to say? Well, I think think he's saying this. He's saying, I am. Who am I? I am. I am the God of your fathers. That's who I am. I'm the one who made the promises. And guess what? And I am going to what? I'm going to deliver you out of your afflictions into a land flowing with milk and honey. So who else am I? I I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of... Giving promises. And guess what? I'm the God of keeping promises. That's who I am. And as we're going to see a little bit later. One of the whole purposes of this whole of the whole event of the Exodus is God wants to show his people who he is. And so what we see in this passage then is that we have an almighty and faithful god and god's answer god's solution to our problems is not be better be stronger but i will be with you and that changes and that changes everything doesn't it it changes everything cuz it takes our it takes our eyes off of our weakness and puts it on God's strength. And so now we no longer have an excuse. We no longer are able to say, well, I can't, I can't, I can't. Well, I'm just not like that. Well, that's just not my personality. Well, I I just wasn't raised that way. It's not about you. I will be with you. We have no more excuses. The Lord God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Hurricane Michael, will be with you. And he says, he'll be with us. I I just thought about this as I was thinking about this message. If I tell my son, if I tell my son, uh... I don't know, let's, let's go out, let's go ride this roller coaster. And he says, I can't, I can't, Dad, I can't do it. I'm too scared, I can't do it. But then I tell my son, when, when, when my son says, I can't do it, what's he, what's he doing? What's he doing? He's saying that he has a lack of trust in himself, right? He has a lack of trust in himself. So my son says, I can't do it, he has a lack of trust in himself. Well, then I say, well, hey, I'll go with you. I'll be with you. Well, when I tell my son I will be with you, if he still says I can't I can't I can't, he has then moved from not just a lack of trust in himself to a lack of trust in his father. You see, when when God says we will be with, he will be with us and we still say I can't, we have moved not just from lack of trust in ourselves, but to a lack of trust in our God. God's not asking us to, to trust ourselves, but he is asking us to trust him. And if we know who he is, then we no longer can say, I can't. Because he's God. So we must stop saying, I can't. In Jesus Christ. In Christ, we must stop saying, I can't. We, you can have a deeper, sweeter, more intimate relationship with Jesus than you ever thought you could. You can lead your family spiritually. You can overcome that temptation and that sin that's in your life that nobody knows about, that you just feel like you can't escape. You can. You can overcome fear and bitterness and resentment in your life. You can share the gospel with your coworker and neighbor and friend. Why? Because I will be with you. God will be with you. God is with you. You see, Moses, he had this encounter with God. He was at the burning bush. God, Moses came up with all these excuses of why he couldn't do it, and all God says is, "I'll be with you." And when God says He will be with you, God told Moses, "I will be with you." Then Moses, at that moment, he had to decide: Am I going to take a step toward Egypt or not? And he did. He walked to Egypt. Why? Because it's God was with him. What's, what's that step that God wants you to take, that you haven't been taken, but now you hear and remember that God is with you. What's that first step to take? Moses' was toward Egypt. What's yours? We see, God gives us His presence. And exercises his power to fulfill his promise and reveal his person. The next event I want us to see is the, is the plague. So if you remember the story about the, the plagues, got Moses, he goes to Egypt. And not surprisingly, Pharaoh is incredibly reluctant to give up millions of, uh, 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 millions of people from his land. And lots of free slave labor. He's reluctant. And so, what does God do? Well, God sends 10 plagues. Uh, water turned to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, kills the livestock, boils on the people, hail uh, falls from heaven, locusts devour the land, and then darkness all over the land. But as I mentioned earlier, there, there's a theme that, that's throughout the whole uh, story of the plagues that. We got to see. And in our sentence here, our, our, our sentence is God gives us his presence and exercises his power to fulfill his promise and reveal his person. One of, God's, one of God's purposes throughout all of human history and throughout the Bible and throughout the history of Israel is to reveal himself. How are you going to know an invisible God? Well, he's going to show himself to you. That's how. He's going to tell himself, He's going to tell uh, you about him. And so one of the greatest points he, in, in this passage is God is revealing himself. So let's just look at a few places. In Exodus uh, chapter 5, when uh, Aaron and Moses go to Pharaoh for the first time, this is what they say in Exodus 5, 1 and 2. It says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Listen to what Pharaoh says. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. You see, there's a problem. A lack of knowledge of God. So what's God going to do? He's going to give an education. About who he is. When confronted with Yahweh, the Lord, Pharaoh said he didn't know. So God was going to show him. And not just that, but Pharaoh was not the only one who was going to get an education. Think about it. When when Moses and Aaron go for the first time, if you remember, Pharaoh says this. He says, I'm not going to let the people go. And then, if you remember, Pharaoh says... Oh, well, they, they want to go out and feast in the wilderness because they, they're not busy enough. They need more work to do. So in response to Moses and Aaron's first attempt at, at getting Pharaoh to let them go, Pharaoh increases the load of the work, makes them make bricks without, without providing them straw. And they have to do it all, but still make the same number of bricks. And the people groan against Moses, a grumble against Moses and Aaron. And this is what God says to Moses in Exodus 6, 2 and following. It says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you. How? With an outstretched arms and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I want you to think about this. Surely God could have come up with a better way to make Pharaoh let his people go. Why did God do it like this? That they may know that I am the Lord. That's what it says. Exodus 7, uh, uh, verse 5, it says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. And then in Exodus 8, verse 22, it says that there will be flies on all the land except for where the Israelites dwell. Why? It says, On that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know. That I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. And then in Exodus 14, 4, when uh, Pharaoh releases them, but then uh, uh, Pharaoh again turns and decides to pursue them, and he, God says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So I want you to think about this. There... God has a plan. His purpose is to make himself known. His purpose is to make himself known. And God is mighty God. And there are things about him that can only be shown by great acts of might. And there will be times when he appoints where he stretches out his hand so that people will know his power. I think of Hurricane Michael. The tip of God's finger. I don't know how you could see the storm, that storm that you can see from outer space. And not know that there's a mighty God. We, you see, we like to think of God as like a senile old grandfather who just winks at everything his children do because he can't control them. God's not like that. He's not to be toyed and trifled with. There is... God is making himself known. And God will make himself known. And you you have to think about this story. In this, we've read passages that both say the Egyptians will know he's the Lord. And passages that say the Israelites will know that he's the Lord. Right? In other words, what? Everybody's going to know that God is God. But not everyone's going to know in the same way. There will be those who know the Lord, but they know him by his wrath and his fury. But there will also be those who know him by his mercy and his grace. Everyone's going to know that he's God. But how will we know him? How will you know him? How do you know him? And we can't miss this because this is the story. This is God's story. The the salvation of Israel from Egypt is the story of the Bible. Because it is the story that is picked up throughout the rest of the the Bible of the deliverance, the salvation of God's people. They were delivered from slavery in Egypt by a man. But the slavery in Egypt... All it is, is it's pointing to something far greater. A far greater slavery. And that is the slavery that the whole world is in right now to sin. The the world is groaning under the weight of its slavery to sin. All you have to do is turn on TV. And the slavery of sin is so terrible. Why? Because when you're enslaved to sin, you don't know it. Why? Because you love your sin. Before I knew God, I loved my sin. It wasn't a problem. The problem was all those prudes trying to get me to change. It wasn't with me. I'm just doing what makes me happy. You don't know you're enslaved until you try to break the chains. And then you realize you can't escape. We're all enslaved to sin, and it's dragging us down to hell. But God raised up a man to deliver us. I want you to think about it. It's not an accident. Moses was birthed among among what? A bunch of infants being killed. What happened when Jesus was born? Herod came after him doing what? Killed all the infants. It's not an accident. Moses said that there would be a prophet raised up after him. A prophet greater than him. And that prophet is the Lord Jesus Christ. More than a prophet. The son of God who has come to make God known in the fullest possible way that God could be known. God's whole plan was to reveal himself and God has revealed himself fully in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1.18 No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. John 14, 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Lots of people say, well, if God would just show himself to me. He has. He has. 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus Christ lived without sin. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And he rose from the dead to conquer the penalty for sin. So that when you look, when, when you open this book that's living and active and you read the pages of the gospel, you will, if you have eyes of faith, you will see God in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you know him and see him, you will be changed and saved. God, revealed, God gives us his presence and exercises his power. To fulfill his promise and reveal his person. The final event we're going to look at this morning is the Passover. The Passover refers to the tenth and final plague that Pharaoh would uh, go through, that the Egyptians would go through. And it would be the final plague which finally breaks Pharaoh's will, if you will. Even though he changed his mind afterwards. And it's it's in the storyline of the Bible, it's almost impossible to overestimate overstate the importance of the Passover in, in the sto- biblical storyline. In this plague, God was going to strike down all the firstborn males of every household. But get this, this is this is it's interesting. Because if you read it carefully, you'll see that in the other plagues, it was either stated or implied that the plagues just affected the Egyptians and not the the Israelites. But this plague is actually different. It actually rather clearly implies that this plague would not just strike the Egyptians, but also the Jews. If they did not trust and obey God's instructions, what what is this what is this trying to say what's well, trying to say that even though even though the jews were god's chosen people as it were they were not they were not exempt from god's justice they were not exempt from their sin god didn't just wink at their sin and call out the egyptians on theirs they were accountable for their sin too And so the Passover was showing not just the Egyptians, but also the Jews, that if they didn't get right with God, they wouldn't be spared either. And so what does God do? God gives them instructions about how to avoid this last plague. And the instructions is what we call the Passover. He told them to take a lamb, not just any lamb, a lamb without blemish. And think about it. He told them to take a lamb, and and he said, kill the lamb, take the blood, take the blood of the lamb, and put it over your house. And what did God say he would do? In Exodus 12, uh, verse 12 and following, he says, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. What was God doing? Notice what God wasn't doing. God wasn't saying, oh, those Egyptians are so bad, and yeah, you go, Jews. Good for you, good people. That's not what God was saying. God was saying, my wrath burns against all sin, theirs and yours, but I have made a way for you to escape. And the way for you to escape the judgment of God is by by something else dying in your place. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's so clear. It's so clear. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming, he said to all, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And so here's what this means. The most important thing this morning is this. No one is exempt from God's justice. But God in his grace and mercy has made a way of escape. God has provided a sacrifice In our place. In the place of all who believe in him. And if you will take the blood of Christ. And put it over your life as it were. When your time comes. And you don't know when that will be. If only if and only if God sees the blood. Will he pass over you. Not because you were good. But because Jesus was. Not because you deserved it. But because Jesus did. What is that? It's grace. It's unspeakable grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. And it's the only way. Oh, that Jesus may see the blood over you. And when the blood is seen on us, and we, and we cry out to God, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Not because I deserve it, but for Christ's sake. God passes over us. And then what does God do? He keeps his promise. Eternal life. A land flowing with milk and honey. The destiny of the saints. And all who believe in him. God gives us his presence. And exercises his power to fulfill his promise. And reveal his person. If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning. I pray you will. You can call on him right now. Right now, and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you want to talk how you, about how you can trust in Christ, I'll be down here in the front as we sing.